Hey, would you like us to read a story of your choosing? Well, you're in luck. Head on over to superhumanregistrationpodcast.com and fill out the web form at the Contact Us link. If you submit a story there that is available to read on Marvel Unlimited, we will consider it for a future episode of the show. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Your, your voice is pretty deep today, Aldo. Are you feeling okay? I just ate, if that makes a difference. I mean, actually, legitimately, that probably makes a difference. Or I just hit third puberty, either or. <laughs> we already had second puberty. What about third puberty? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's not even a real puberty. This is called the midlife crisis. It's third puberty. <laughs> well, there is a second puberty. That is actually a thing. But, like, men's voices change when they get into their late 20s, early 30s a second time. But, like, seriously, Aldo, your voice is considerably considerably deeper today. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, Maybe it's the actual gain on, or maybe something with the mic i don't know it can't be anything with the mic i don't know <laughs> don't you hear it too don't you yeah definitely hear it that is odd okay as long as i'm not crazy and it is a thing that is independently verifiable then i'm okay with whatever yeah, that, yeah it's it's a thing <laughs> <laughs> although you sound more more suave today and much more handsome well uh, he's just gonna <laughs> see He's just gonna be throwing out pickup lines the whole the whole podcast. <laughs> I guess you could say, apart from a good story, I've also been craving a good lady. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> craving a lady. Welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast, where we listen to Aldo make all sorts of puns and occasionally read comics. Turn back now, or abandon or abandon hope. <laughs> all you that continue onward. <laughs> okay okay but but what if craven a lady wait wait is this like a proposed episode of what if <laughs> yeah craven a lady yeah <laughs> lady craven. hey they could do no they could make craven a lady for like the mcu i mean they did make craven a lady there there was a craven a female craven in the comics well, every time I Google Lady Craven, it's just a bunch of cosplayers, so. <laughs> Aldo just has his Craven Lady bookmark. <laughs> well, well, since we're kind of already talking about it, why don't we actually uh, get into talking about Craven's Last Hunt? You guys okay with that? How are you guys doing, by the way? I don't think I've actually asked you that yet. Like, on the recording. I need, I need people to know that I, I, like, respect you guys. Well, I don't actually. So, Craven the Hunter, Craven's Last Hunt. <laughs> Sorry, I was just flipping through my itinerary of Stephen Fane's uh, <laughs> to ha- have a heart, and we've moved on to the summary of Craven the Last Hunter. These are these things that are f- are facts to us. These dossiers that Craven's uh... <laughs> uh, Last Hunt, six part story that ran in Web of Spider Man issues thirty one and thirty two, The Amazing Spider Man issues two ninety three and two ninety four, and The Spectacular Spider Man issues one thirty one and one thirty two. Written by J M Dematius. Pencils by Mike Zeck, inks by Bob McCloud, letters by Rick Parker, and colors by a team Bob Sharon, 
Janet Jackson, probably not the same one, and then Mike's second Oh. What what if though? <laughs> what if she just I I mean, I suppose that is not actually feasible. So <laughs> Craven's Last Hunt begins shortly after the marriage of Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Mary Jane is starting to experience, you know, the the fears and the anxieties that come with being a superhero's wife. Meanwhile, Craven is on some sort of bizarre, like, I don't know what you could call it, like a vision quest. He he is convinced that Spider-Man is actually this strange sort of supernatural entity, and that's why he's always beating him. And so Craven's going through all of these weird sort of psych- psychedelic, uh, psycho-hallucinogenic training programs. He imagines that he is, like, or at least I hope he's imagining when he's in the room full of spiders and he, like, eats them. You know what this? I don't know. I don't know if it's a sad thing. You know what the thing is like, and I don't. I don't know. It can be. I know what the thing he's is. He's a member of the Fantastic Four. Ben, ben Grimm. Grimm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen, I'm really glad that you jumped on that as fast as you did. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's the, the, What's fortunate and unfortunate, Aldo? Yeah, depending on your view of Spider-Man lore as it ever evolves, is it's later revealed that he kind of is like he is a spider totem. He's like part of this mystical thing that ties together the spider. Yeah, that's, yep. that's that's like. Thing. I don't think that's. I don't think this is necessarily alluding to that, but I thought it was a little funny. You know, that's like yeah, that's like a deep deep forward dive. Stuff. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So the story is bonkers. Craven gets it in his head that in order to really defeat Spider-Man and to restore his family's honor, he needs to first kill Spider-Man. Second, like do. take over Spider-Man's identity. Third, beat up a Spider-Man villain that Spider-Man himself was not actually able to defeat. Fourth, Alone, yes. Defeated, uh, this is uh, Vermin, giant yep. like cannibalistic rat monster that Spider-Man defeated with the help of Captain America. That event is alluded to multiple times in the story. Fourth, Spider-Man's not actually dead, so after you have successfully defeated Vermin, you have to let Spider-Man out from his uh, near-death state and pit him in a fight against Vermin again and, in order to prove that he still can't beat Vermin. I don't remember which step I'm on, so we'll say fifth, sixth, yeah. fifth uh, yeah. release Vermin back into the the wild and have Spider-Man go back after him again, and then seventh conclusion, kill yourself, and write a note absolving Spider-Man of all the crimes that you committed while you were wearing his costume. But when do you profit? Uh, you uh, In the afterlife? Um, your children profit. Your, your family name profits from being restored to honor? The knowledge that you won, uh, the last thing going through your brain before the bullet does. Oh, gosh. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's so <laughs> awful. I mean, I, hey, it's not my plan. It's Craven's plan. Uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, oh, you know, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so that is actually the plot of Craven's Last Hunt in its entirety. Like, this isn't me just being like the villain revealing the evil plan. Nope, this is the evil plan. Craven actually carries it out. The first issue of the story ends with him shooting Spider-Man in the head. Well, like in the neck. And Spider-Man gets buried in the ground. Or, yeah. Whatever it is, though, it's actually a non-fatal injury. Some weird sort of herbal concoction that'll uh, put Spider-Man in a state of suspended animation slash near death for a couple of weeks. 
They must be in Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) See, and I was going to make a joke about essential oils. Yours might have been better. Um, (laughs) Aldo's joke has wider appeal because not everyone knows Utah's problem with essential oils. Oh, gosh. Uh, So many, so many concerns. Uh, So there's a lot of other stuff that kind of winds through this. Spider-Man starts the story by... Visiting the funeral of a thug that he used to shake down for information, it goes about as well as you'd expect. Everybody pulls guns on him, so he beats them up and then leaves money in the the man's like collection jar so that they can afford to get a decent plot to bury him in, which I actually thought was a really nice character touch for Spider-Man. Yeah. I love that he pulls the money not out of a pocket, literally out of his pants. (laughs) I, I imagine that's all he's got um you have all of the stuff with vermin going on in the story he's just kind of creepy and yeah i i I don't know that he actually has much of a uh like compelling backstory Uh, he's a giant rat that eats people and so like i remember pretty vividly i don't remember which issue it was in there's there's one scene where vermin like jumps out grabs a woman pulls her into the alley and then we get a panel of just the opening to the alley we don't see anybody in it and then we repeat the panel and all we get is a little text box of vermin's speech saying yum yum that's issue that's issue 2 and as as creepy and horrifying as it is it's great paneling so that's you know. that's uh amazing spider-man 293 is that right? Uh, Keeping track of the issue numbers in this is going to be a little difficult. Yeah, actually, I do. I do want to say something yeah. about um, you, you mentioned the paneling. Typically, when you have good paneling, you shouldn't notice it. Like a, when you have good things in in a comic book, you don't notice. I like like John just stated. This book has actually really good paneling all throughout, like the story. Um, like and and. And I don't know, the art is pretty, like, standard. Like, nothing really stands out as far as the art. Like, not that it's bad. Um, but I think the paneling, like, does a really good job with the storytelling in this particular book. And it's easy to forget that that can be used as a tool to break up story beats and stuff. Because you think about what has to go on a comic book page and you have to break up the action somewhere. So the choices that the art artist and, and t- I mean, I don't know how much the writer played in saying, okay, panel one isn't like this, you know, I don't, I don't know what the split is on, you know, their collaboration there, but um, it's interesting, you know, seeing a scene play out the choices that they make, you know, all the different ways they could have gone, but uh, I liked it. Yeah, I'm actually gonna, uh, I guess, kind of disagree with Aldo. I think the, uh, I think the art's really good. It is a bit dated. Like this is obviously, you know, sort of late '80s style, early '90s style. Um, I actually wonder. I mentioned the coloring team earlier. I kind of wonder if the the issues in the Marvel Unlimited app weren't recolored. Because the coloring itself uh, sometimes doesn't quite look like what I would expect from the time period. If it's not recolored, then my praise goes up a little bit more. It's like really well done. This coloring's pretty pretty impressive. But I'm thinking in particular, like I feel like a lot of the characters' expressions are just really good. Um, going to uh, spectacular Spider-Man, the the first of the issues. Uh, 131, Spectacular Spider-Man number 131, page number 16, yeah, 
So you've got Craven stripping down to his nothings. He does that a lot. Oh yeah, he's there's a lot of naked Craven in this. A lot more than you want. I mean, you got to have some, right? But uh... I, guess, I guess the problem is neither of you guys were craving a whole lot of that. Oh, jeez! Oh my gosh! We left we left that door wide open, and he just drove a freight train right through it. That's the only one I have. It's you gonna hear it. You know, I, I I remember we were talking about this book. I didn't expect craven nudity. Uh, <laughs> nice. yeah but anyway like this comic to me reads like a horror story and it's drawn like a horror story too in a lot of ways craven is is just straight up insane and he looks insane yep um one of the major subplots is mary jane uh kind of the fear that she experiences her husband newlywed husband goes missing for two or three weeks and she like, it's, it's kind of hard to, to say that, you know... Yeah, he's definitely still alive, considering his line of work. In all likelihood, Spider-Man is dead. And he kind of is. So we get to see her fear and anxiety. We get to see all of the weird hallucinogenic images that, that Craven goes through. We've got a literal cannibal monster running around. Like, taken as a, as a horror comic, I think the story's pretty dang effective. Yeah, I, th- I think it does some really good stuff. I think it also does a really good thing with Craven kind of being this unreliable narrative. Because when you see a lot of stuff through his eyes, you're not sure if he's hallucinating because he's on a weird hippie power trip. Or if he's actually just munching down on spiders in a spi- with a, out of a spider monster in his basement. I'm not not looking toads. Yeah, yeah, not not he, not yeah, no. and he he's convinced that Spider-Man is some kind of creature, you know. After all of his days of hunting, you know, the great game all over the world, and you know that that puts him at odds with us as the readers, knowing no, he's Peter Parker from Queens. He's just a little guy, you know. And yeah, he's nuts. The, when I I read this and it was sold as like, oh, this is like a great Russian novel, but with Spider-Man in it. <laughs> and the first time I read it, like I found it, you know, as incomprehensible. Some of Dostoevsky's deeper stuff, but I don't know. I don't remember there being cannibals in uh, Eugene Negan. So I mean, did you read the director's version or the uh, the author's cut? Pushkin <laughs> died too early to go back and revisit his works, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> um. So, so those are we got kind of the broad strokes. We covered a lot of, of ground just now. Uh, what do you guys want to talk about with this book? Man, there's a lot of nudity in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even think we see a butt in this. There, there's a lot of strategically placed shadows, though. I mean, not actually like a lot of implied nudity. I mean, that that was. I don't actually want to talk about it. Are you sure? Because I asked what you want to talk about, and that's the thing you said. So I think we're committed. We got to talk about butts for the next five minutes. Well, if I must. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, kind of going back on that art, I think think one of the complaints I had, and we didn't talk about this a whole lot, and this is a complaint I have every time this comes up. Um, He's, Spider-Man is in this, He's back in like his goth stage. He's wearing the black suit. But this is this is when he first gets the goth the, the black suit, right? Well, this is not the alien symbiote costume. No, this, this is, is just, just his black, black costume. costume. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just a black costume. And he's gone back to a black costume a couple times without the symbiote. So, I, I don't know when this lines up um, as far as in the black suit timeline. <laughs> um, but I, one of the things I kind of don't like about it, especially in early comics, is it feels like nobody really kind of grasped how to draw definition on that costume. So, there's a lot of moments where it just kind of looks blobby. Um because it is just a big black suit that, like, doesn't really have a lot of line defines on it. Uh, a lot of lines defining the muscle structure or any of that. Um, yeah. Um, so I think that's a little I unfortunate. I see that. I'm not sure that I agree Yeah, I, I don't see it as blobby. I, I get where you're coming from. I'm looking at the second to last issue, so Web of Spider-Man. Um, oh, it just took me all the way out. Web of Spider-Man number 32. And all of the pose. This is where he gets out of the get- of the grave, and all of the poses are just excellent. Oh gosh, I forgot about this sequence. And 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 a lot of yeah, like Peter coming back to life, you know, waking up. Yeah, a lot of lot of Peter Parker nudity too. Getting born out of the corpse of a spider. Uh, de- Ben's decaying corpse. Was it Ben or I thought it was Ned? Oh wait, what did I say? Oh, it is Ned Leeds. Sorry, I like, I yeah. Yeah, and this is also the third to last issue. There's another issue in between this and the finale. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it, the, like, keeping track of everything is a little bit difficult with this one. I think for me, for me, that really kind of that opinion really kind of happened for me. And uh, uh, I want to say it was like the second issue, or like, uh, so I don't have the app up app up right now. Um, but I think it's the issue where Craven first starts impersonating spider-man there's like a put where he's in the warehouse and like he's in he like just jumps and he just kind of looks like a blob with like these big arms and itty bitty feet um that's particularly one of the poses that really stuck out to me as being not that great but i <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm willing to be that's alone gonna be one. in peter parker the spectacular spider-man the warehouse scene in particular also, every time we say Spectacular Spider-Man, I just had the theme song from that show in my head. Spectacular, Spectacular, spectacular Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Underrated Spider-Man cartoon, yeah. I think. Yeah, so severely it's pretty, it's underrated. It's pretty good. I, oh, so good. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw that one. When did it come out? Uh, right before the Marvel-Disney acquisition thing, I think. Because uh, okay. I think that's what ended it. Mm. Yeah, I think so. You can't make your thing your way. Make it our way now, kind of deal. Yeah, and they did. Yeah. They rebooted it. Into the Ultimate Spider-Man. But that doesn't that mean we got Donald Glover as part of the show? Did we? We got him as Miles Morales in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Oh, I didn't actually know that. Okay, that's not bad. But the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon is not good. No. That's <laughs> it's very bad. fourth wall breaky. Very. It's, it's kind of like uh, Saved by the Bell. <laughs> but not as good. That's really odd. Okay. Although weirdly appropriate for a Spider-Man story. Yeah. So you you would think it would be good, but it's not. There's a lot of fourth wall breaks. Does he have? Does I he, am not happy. Time out. Does he have a big big cell phone? No, but like it it does that thing from like Emperor's New Groove where like oh. the the screen kind of grays out and then like fourth wall break Spider-Man pops in and he's like. Oh boy, I'm in this sticky situation now. How am I ever gonna get out of this? I don't. I mean, that's that seems to fit the character. That's like that's Spider-Man. He's jokey. Yeah, but he's not fourth wall. He's not Deadpool. No, he's not Deadpool. That's true. 
All right. Well, there's a line, and they yeah. Okay. Watch it. Watch it. Make your own opinion. But uh, Spectacular Spider-Man is still one of the best. It's probably the best Spider-Man cartoon. And you can usually actually find uh, DVD copies of it at like Best Buy for relatively cheap, hmm. like ten or fifteen bucks. It's two seasons. Ends on a big cliffhanger. Unfortunately, they were so confident. <laughs> Ah, we'll never die. (laughs) (laughs) I just put all my money in blockbusters, yeah. So Craven's last hunt. (laughs) I like that we get, um, you know, a challenge from someone in Spider-Man's rogues gallery, you know. Um, I don't know, is, I mean, this is up there with spectacular, or uh, superior Spider-Man for me, like... I don't know if other villains have have had this big of like I don't I don't know like Craven really like Craven wins I mean Craven like does everything he wants to yeah like you know the funny thing is this actually feels like and it probably is it feels like inspiration for Superior Spider Man mm-hmm. I mean there's there's even the line where he says you know it's not enough to to beat him I have to beat him I have to be a Superior Spider Man and I was like Doc Oct. It is funny how often with these like long running superhero franchises we get the same story beats over and over again. I'm used to thinking about that in terms of X Men and all of the different ways that X Men kind of repeats itself. But Spider-Man what are you what are you implying? Are you, are you saying that there's a lot of time travel? We have to save the future kind of crap going on in X Men. <laughs> I mean, how many Come times on. has how many times has Charles Xavier died? Like, um, ah, was he I remember <laughs> reading yeah. reading the the book last time? Uh, and being like, oh wait, he died here? I thought he died in AVX. That's a couple years later. Uh. He died in both! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a point well taken that, um, they kind of, yeah, killed death, but... No, I, uh, I I don't know. This, whether it's done before this, I mean, I still like this. It's this story beat, this business here. And I think it's done well, and it's definitely done more, uh, economically, uh-huh. And it's also depressing because oh, so I haven't read the entirety of Superior Spider-Man, but my understanding is that it kind of ends with uh, Otto Octavius realizing that he's not actually better at being Spider-Man than Peter Parker is, and having to kind of give that up so that Peter Parker can can come back. This story ends with Craven just like, yeah, I am better at this than Spider-Man is, and Spider-Man's a sweet kid and all, and I wish him the best, but yeah. For those who, who might be, like, astute listeners, uh, I don't know if this is actually going to make a difference, but we just lost Aldo for a bit, and now he's back with us, and his voice sounds normal. Yeah, um, and this happened right on the right when I was about to make a joke about Charles Xavier having frequent fire miles into hell. <laughs> Where he most certainly goes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the good outweighs the bad with him. It's uh, That's a tough one. Okay, so um, which characters in this story are going to hell? <laughs> let's 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 tie this back into into Craven's last hunt. I I mean Craven, right? Like any way you slice it, you know, just for what he does to vermin. I mean, this is a good Christian comic. I can't have a Russian doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Russian uh, Russia, a Christian country where drugs are prevalent. <laughs> yeah. As you can say, he's rushing to hell. Yeah. Ah! Oh, God. That was a knee slapper. Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, that's what that sound was. Hmm. I don't think that was Steven's question. Anyhow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, which, 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 um, um, I mean, if we're going like Old Testament, you know, like <laughs> Mary Jane's probably going to hell for something. And if any Beating of them, that like, rat to death with a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For showing so much ankle, Dagnabbit. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, then, then Peter Parker and Craven are holding hands and sprinting there because they are naked <laughs> for good chunks of these books, like we've said. No, I uh, I don't know. This is I like this book. I like I like, I thought it was good. Um, good better better the second re- revisiting it. I don't know what what I was expecting the first time through, but kind of going in knowing the end from the beginning and knowing a bit I don't know more about what their their motivations are and I mean I might have watched a YouTube uh, review <laughs> um, talking about. Some kind of psycholo- uh, psychological experiment where they put on, they had people come into rooms and answer questions, and they had them wear like white coats, and just putting on a costume changed the results of the experiment to where people did better and answered questions better because they were in an outfit that they considered to be intelligent, like you know doctors and scientists wear lab coats, and I'm answering questions in this white coat, therefore you know. I don't know. There, there's still it's still a theory that they're trying to prove with more study, but that's that's what the dude was talking about. And he was wearing a white coat while he was saying it, so I trust him. Oh, that's a mistake. Oh. So is that related <laughs> to Craven becoming a better person because he's wearing a suit? No, 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 no. Well, become oh. like getting into the mindset. Sorry. Oh yeah, I didn't tie it into what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was real. I'm a little confused. I'm not gonna lie. Sorry. The only grown-ups I talk to are my wife, and she can follow my train of thought most days and everyone else i just like my twins i just make faces at them and my daughter just she talks about imaginary friends and movie quotes and who she guys she started watching my little pony and i i don't have it in me to follow up on that enough to be able to know who she's talking about i'm gonna turn into like a grown-up who's like ah you dang kids and your tv shows oh man is she talking about applejack yeah, see right there. It just is that a real? Static. Is that a real pony? I don't know. That's a real pony. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. She's okay. the cowboy pony. Oh my gosh! Why do you need me to explain this to you? <laughs> is Doctor Who's a real character? Yes. Uh Okay. Well, I'm back out. <laughs> <laughs> I was in for a second when I guessed the name correctly. I'm back out. <laughs> uh, if it helps. Doctor Hooves is a background character, to my knowledge, never has so much as a line. Do they wear a scarf? Uh, I don't think so. I think they Doctor Hooves has David Tennant's hair and an hourglass uh, cutie mark, which is the horse equivalent <laughs> of a tramp stamp. But they all have them, don't they? Yes, and they're all hussies. <laughs> ah, that's why there are bronies. Okay, I don't, gross. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't think that's the message that we're going for. That's pretty. I'm pretty sure that's it. Okay, you know, you're the expert on this. I was going to say, Steven's the one who's watching it and currently holding a pillow made of one, so, you know. What is it with you and pillows, John? I don't know, man. It's my my go-to thing that sick people do. Making some crack about somebody's body pillow. (laughs) I'm I'm not kidding. It's like, this is the third episode in a row. Seems pretty defensive for someone (laughs) with nothing to hide. Hey, I'm not hiding anything. I'm just asking. What kind of bedroom accoutrement do you have? (laughs) I mean... I'm not going to say I don't have a Hamilton pillow. There we go. I actually do. (laughs) 
Just so that so that you and your wife and Burke can be in the room where it happened all together. <laughs> okay, so we have to talk about Craven's Last Hunt before I kill someone. <laughs> I got one other thing that I need to say about this book at the very least. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. There is this bit towards the end where Peter Parker, Spider-Man, is chasing vermin down the sewer i think you're going to talk about the thing i wanted to bring up so please the internal monologue that he's got going on he's like attacking vermin he's like why am i doing this i can't let him get away i have to stop him i can't let the fear stop me please let the fear stop me like this whole sort of internal monologue where frankly parker comes across looking like a bit of a coward um which is probably putting it too harshly considering the trauma he just went through but personally, I found it a bit, like, from an artistic standpoint, I found this section a bit cloying and a bit, I don't, I'm not even quite sure how to put it into words. I just, it, it frustrated me and I didn't like it. But I'm like, I'm wondering if that sort of disappointment is intentional because this is meant to be a very uh unromantic story about Spider-Man. You know, he, he's the hero. He's the character that we look up to and we idolize. But in this story, he's he's really torn down. And even though he wins at the end, he loses a lot. And so I think it's intentional. And it's intentionally maybe a bit on the whimpering side. And he still muscles through and saves the day. But I don't know. That, that bit really kind of bugged me. Oh, we were not on the same wavelength. Um... <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. Like, it, it bugged you. I was actually going to talk about when he's chasing Vermin, and Vermin attacks the lady, and he's like, "My, she reminds me of Mother. And oh, was, gosh, that. And, he, and like, they do that close-up where he, like, licks her face. Yeah, and that's, then a, runs. that's a bit earlier in, in the story. Yeah, so I was wondering if either of you knew what was up with that, apart from... I, like, if, I don't know if any of you know, like, ver- more of on ver- what your knowledge is on Vermin lore. <laughs> I've only seen him in, like, uh, I think, is he in Fear Itself? The, the Spider-Man Fear Itself? Uh, you know, I did not read Fear Itself. I only read it because um, the author, now I, now I just blanked on his name, The uh, Chris Hastings, Dr. McNinja, he oh, yeah, wrote yeah. The Deadpool Fear Itself. And it was goofy, you know, um... But then I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll look at the rest of the you know story arc to see what kind of happened. Um, and, I think eh. the the only fear itself I read was the one for like a monkey gangster, and I just I dropped out after <laughs> that. It was that peaked. <laughs> That's funny. I'm only I'm only in it for the monkey gangsters. So I'm just browsing uh, Vermin's Wikipedia page which doesn't have any pictures of half-naked women before you accuse me of just lusting after people like you always seem to do. Wow. Hey, I listen to these podcasts multiple times because I have to edit them. And so every... You see trends? Every, yeah. <laughs> I'm like that, that guy from uh, uh, Always Sunny with his pin board. <laughs> John, you've made that same joke eight times. <laughs> Shut up about Doctor Strange and the search for eternity already. I'm sorry, the what? The search for eternity! Ah, okay. Yeah, you see, this is why I'm not going to make that delivery. (laughs) You do it so much better. (laughs) But I can't do it every time, otherwise it would become a tired old joke. (laughs) It has to be fresh! (laughs) So Vermin actually appears to be more of a Captain America villain 
Like, he's associated with Baron Zemo and Arnim Zola. He, he fights Captain America multiple times, it looks like. Uh, he, he hangs around Zemo's circle. The only time he appears in Spider-Man stories, uh, it looks to be like they're all basically references to Kraven's Last Hunt. Uh-huh. Hmm. So, I don't know anything about the character beyond that, though. So, um, yeah, the mother thing is creepy. But, you know, you can't have a psychological comic book story or any sort of pop culture psychology without somebody uh, making really inappropriate gestures towards a mother figure. Yeah. I blame Freud. Yeah. Yeah. Butthead. Uh, he also gets a rat tail in later incarnations. Does he not have a tail? He doesn't have a tail. Nope. No. Huh. No. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all. I, I, do we have anything else to actually say about I this? Don't think we, I, I don't think we, we do. Keep, like we keep tangenting. I, you know, it, I would say pos, positive, worth reading. You know, has some things done really well, some things that could have been better. I think, and yeah, I think this is the unfortunate thing of having good books on this podcast. Uh huh. Is we just like agree that it's good and then tangent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't have a rant to talk about how bad this is, so we're just going to make jokes at the, you know, yeah. 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 Well, let's see what our next story is like. Although, you've got the Jessica Jones story. Yes, I do. Uh, so, Jessica Jones... Sorry, let me, let me pull up my notes. Uh, Jessica Jones, uh, Marvel Digital Original from 2018, called Blind Spot, written by Kelly Thompson, and art by... I think it's Maria de Lulis. I uh, p- forgive my pronunciation on that. Um, but this was originally a digital-only book. I think it's since been... It's gone to print, um, but it's also available now on the Marvel Digital Unlimited app. Um, hence why we're reading it. <laughs> but this is uh, this is one of the newer stories, so it kind of takes place in that Jessica Jones part of the timeline where she is married to Luke Cage. They have a child. This one picks up with Jessica Jones uh, kind of helping out or doing an investigation. She comes back to her office and there is a corpse in her office and the cops have been called. So she's been, you know, she's been framed for this. Um, And after she gets out of jail, saved by uh, Matt Murdock, i.e. Daredevil, um, she goes back to her office to kind of see what's going on and gets shot in the back of the head and wakes up in the hospital surprisingly uh not dead so she's kind of visited by her superhero friends and um really embarrassed about the whole thing so many suits and spandex jeez it's when you pass out from heat stroke during an anime convention and that's you wake up and that's all you see is suits and spandex you know, any other any other <laughs> collection of people talking and having a conversation that would not be a relatable comment but here we are yeah <laughs> Um, so she kind of sets off to go, you know, investigate what's happening here. Um, cause there's been, uh, cause Elsa Bloodstone has also been shot. And when she goes to uh, see what happened to her friend, who's now presumably dead, she finds her very not dead. Um, and so Jessica Jones kind of investigates, uh, this thing that's going on with, you know, somebody going around killing women and those women not actually staying dead with the exception of a pair uh, White Rabbit and uh, oh, I forgot the name, but this other lady who's a, a stripper. <laughs> that's I mean, that's yeah. where they go. <laughs> um, 
so so they're they're dead and they stay dead um and this all kind of relates back to a previous investigation that Jessica Jones had done in the past for a girl named uh, Dia. Dahlia, Dia. right? Dia. I should have better notes. <laughs> um, so when she helps out, so she, Dia had hired her to kind of investigate her boyfriend and to kind of confirm that he was a scumbag, not that she just thought he was, but just wanted full, full confirmation. It turns out he was. Um, so a lot of the stuff that's happening is is related to this Dia girl. Um, we cut to the second half of the story, and Dia has kind of popped up, and she's explaining to Jessica Jones that she woke up with powers that when she wants anything or she wishes for something, it happens. Um, her boyfriend got really kind of jealous, envious of these, and so she kind of wished for that to like stop, and so that he could experience that. So he she gave him her powers. And he realized he was a jerk face, so he wished that he could remove the bad from himself and thus created a copy of himself that is all the bad and not the good. Um, and so now they're kind of out to stop him. Uh, and, you know, with a little help of Doctor Strange, who's apparently kind of an asshole. Very uh, little help from Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah. I like that we get to see. You know, Doctor Strange through the eyes of Jessica Jones. You know, here's a screw up who I mean, that's not fair to say because they you can jump into this comic and get to know the comic Jessica Jones and and she feels a bit like the Netflix show since this came after. I mean, there's a bit of that, I think, but Yeah. She's not I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience reading her in the comics. Is she kind of like a, you know, screw up boozer kind of in the comics? Like she was portrayed on the show? Is that fair yeah, to I, say? I think the show, I mean, I've, my experience with Jessica Jones is pretty limited, but it seems like it, at least from the, I, cause I've never read the original Bendis Jessica Jones stuff. Um, but all the other Jessica Jones stuff I've read, I mean, it all feels, feels like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she gets a bit more, like, her life is better under control after she marries Luke Cage. And at that point, like, that was actually something I kind of wanted to bring up as we were talking about this. Because the original Jessica Jones stories have a parental advisory on them. They're uh, not suitable for all ages. And unless I'm mistaken, they're not even available on the app. I don't think they are. We've talked about doing Alias before, and it's not on here. So if it's not on the app, we can't do it. Um, that's our like one rule. Yeah, it basically is our one rule. <laughs> um, and tonight you're gonna break your one rule. <laughs> There's no killing and no talking about. Fu- oh, oh, I mean nothing. <laughs> oh, uh, huh, huh? <laughs> oh my gosh! Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, random tweet that I saw today. If you see a faded sign at the side of the road, it says 15 miles to the Fight Club. <laughs> super weird. Um, but anyway, yeah. like, so the oh, so, original Jessica Jones stories were, like, you know, really hard, uh, like, not suitable for young audiences' affairs. This story has the parental advisory label, but it's really fairly it's pretty tame. Tame, It's just yeah. for it's language, I think. It's not even for the language. When no. Elsa Bloodstone's around, all of her curse words get bleeped. I, I think it's mostly for the portrayal of violence. Like, it's a lot of kind of violence against women. Yeah, that's probably the it's reason. Pretty heavy. Um, yeah, so 
so kind of to wrap up the story is you know they find out this whole thing is happening uh with some help from dr strange uh dia has kind of figured out how to use her power and her boyfriend has also the good version of the boyfriend um so they are able to bamboozle the evil version and put him away um and then we also get like a like a lead into the next story which yeah which is about um jessica jones kid having a birthday party and everybody in the hood dropping by (laughs) i kind of liked that uh them fighting um What's the shark's name? I just blanked on his name. Lone Shark. Lone, Lone sh- Shark. <laughs> yeah. That's up there with like Bad Horse as like good names of uh, yeah. villains, you know. It's 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 kind of cute. So when I read this, I didn't read that issue in particular. I don't know why I skipped it, like that last, last issue. Um, so that was kind of new to me this time around. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I was kind of not pleased with how it just changes to a different art style. Uh, because Purple Daughter, which is the follow-up to this series, has the same artist as we had in the rest of the of, of the book here. Um, and this art style doesn't return, not that I can remember. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. I think it's funny, because this is, like, I was debating after I read it. It's like, should we really talk about this as part of Blind Spot? Because it's a different story. Yeah. But the cover of it has blind spot chapter six on it yep and it's it's super it's completely unrelated yeah Yeah. um but yeah so so i mean what did you guys i mean apart from like that last issue i think that's probably its own conversation yeah and i do want to have it um but i think we should probably focus on the of the meat of the book before we get to the potatoes uh that felt weird Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but uh what'd you guys think i liked it you know, so, it's actually, a detective story, and go ahead. Actually, I do want to ask this, because I was thinking this the whole time. John, what did you think about the art? I liked it. Oh, okay. Are you trying to get me to say, well, it's house style? And, and... No, I thought you were going to say, uh, you know, if it's so so realistic, why? what's even the point? It was, it was, it, no, yeah, sure. <laughs> but it was, it was stylized just enough. Mm-hmm. And they did some interesting things, like when she was, you know, being a detective and noticing little details. And, oh, the little you know. character intros are are fantastic. I love those. Yeah. yeah. No, I thought they did some interesting things with it. That the, you know, going for too much realism in the in the figures was, you know, forgivable. To me, so. the the I actually have a bit of a complaint about the art. I think um, the uh, the sort of realism that's not the word i want but they're they're definitely trying to depict things at a more grounded level which i think works for jessica jones the problem is i feel like the end result is that the characters are fairly wooden in their acting Mm. you know i i have to agree that's i think that's a problem i had as well yeah and it's something that i see in a lot of um valiant comics like with mm. the Valiant reboot that started probably about eight, nine years ago now at this point. Um, really compelling stories, great writing, good art, but with a bit, like the acting is a bit wooden. And I feel like this has a very similar sort of problem. Uh, again, I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it isn't, it is like, I, you know, I, although, although we've been chatting about a, a manga, which had Atelier. Yes. That is actually kind of a mediocre story, but I'm recommending it solely on the basis of the art. 
Mm-hmm. This is kind of the opposite of that, where I think it's a decent story that I would recommend kind of in spite of the art. Again, not that the art's bad, it's just just doesn't really do it for me. It reminds me a lot of the things that I don't like about Fraser Irving as an yes. artist. Yes, yes. Um, so, so I'd have to agree. I think Fraser Irving typically has better, like, posing, because it doesn't feel like posing. I think the problem with a lot of this book is a lot of the the more the bigger like body shots feel like somebody posed for them like they don't feel mm-hmm. like there's a whole lot of movement to them in reality that's yeah that's fair um and that's and and i, th- and I think i don't know sometimes it works in its favor like the elsa bloodstone in- introduction like that full page shot of her like that looks fantastic but even jessica jones walking into a room just feels really like you said really kind of wooden mm-hmm. um however i think on the upside of this art style, and granted, you could do this with almost any art style, really, but the facial expressions here work really well. I think so. They're subtle enough that they feel grounded, but like they're still noticeable enough. I got too much of a Fraser Irving vibe, and and I've mentioned this before. I'm not a big fan. I like him, but yeah. I, I get that. Um, when you said you when you said you had a problem and it reminded you of Fraser Irving, my brain didn't know who Fraser Irving was, and so it just went to Fraser Crane, and I was like, "How do you have a problem? That show is consistently good for eleven seasons." You and I have different definitions of the word consistent. I think we have different definitions of the word good. <laughs> How dare both of you? Well, we obviously have different definitions of the word Fraser. Okay. Yeah. We, we can agree. Yeah, we can agree. Um, yeah. I think I think the art. There's a couple moments when the art really kind of irked me on here, and it's Spider Man. Spider Man makes an appearance in here. Um, oh gosh, the Spider Man. He, he's weird. It's his eyes. His, his eyes, eyes are, are too small. They're yeah. Too small. Yeah. He has like this big head and little eyes, and it, it's unsettling. <laughs> um. But I kind of forgot Spider-Man was in this. Yeah, there's a lot of little cameos in here, and I think that's just kind of par for the course with Jessica Jones' books. Because every time I've read a Jessica Jones book, which, granted, isn't that many. I make it sound like it's a lot. It's not. Um, it seems that, like, that's part of her shtick, right? It's like the, she's this super grounded PI character who just kind of has to put up with all these superheroes all the dang time. Which is um, why it's great that they're all waiting in the lobby and... Uh, Peter Parker is holding a balloon that says happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was very, like, as bad as the art of the costume is, that was very in character for Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah, so me, that's pretty great. So, I mean, to, like, list off some cameos here. I mean, so we have we have Daredevil, who shows up as Matt Murdock. We have Captain Marvel, who shows up, along with a whole squad of superheroes at the hospital. Uh-huh. Uh, we have Spider-Man. Uh, Elsa Bloodstone. Well, that's Doctor Strange. Squirrel Girl, right? Never in costume. It, what is Squirrel Girl? Is she Pam something? No. Uh, Squirrel Girl actually did used to babysit for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. But yeah. Th- her yeah. name's Doreen. Oh, that's yeah. yep, yep. Um, yeah. So like that's even that's like was it? I feel like that's a cameo per issue in this book. Yeah. Oh, at least uh, yeah, yeah. Not counting the last technical issue the whole birthday party thing because that is this cameos galore oh yeah. but thor, that was a good one with thor oh that was yeah doesn't count for really the story <laughs> yeah um but yeah so like that was kind of i don't know it's it's kind of one of those neat things where oh and misty knight i guess um and no she's not a superhero but that that is a cameo she's she's got a cyber arm 
Yeah, but is that really a power? It's 2019, Steven. She stars in a book called <laughs> Heroes for Hire. It's not superheroes for hire, though, is it? Freaking... <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> also, actually, talking about Misty Knight, I kind of love that when we get that little... Uh, the little detective photo intro for Elsa Bloodstone. One of the notes is about her hair. Hair to rival Misty's. Yeah. Because they both got fabulous hair. She's the yeah. comparison for, yeah, good hair. and Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't like leading the conversation. I like to let it happen. But, like, what do you guys think about Elsa Bloodstone? <laughs> <laughs> oh. See, I don't she's know. What, I mean... I try to always get along with my friend's crushes, so... Uh... <laughs> so she's, I mean, I... she's great, Aldo. <laughs> so I bring this up, because she's one of those characters that I really like, but I don't read enough stuff with her in it. Um, I also haven't bothered to read like the stuff that she leads, so you know, I don't know, I don't know what that tells you. Um, but to me, she's always felt like the Marvel version of Constantine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, uh, Elsa Bloodstone was basically created to be the Marvel Comics version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was getting like sense. a Red Sonia vibe from her, but I don't know anything but, about Red so, Sonia except for she has like battle axes and small armor. <laughs> so, okay, side note Red Sonia, actually really great. Gail Simone wrote some Red Sonia stories oh, that yes. are phenomenal. Um, but I do think actually the comparison to Red Sonia is apt. So when Elsa Bloodstone was first created, she was blonde. Uh, and then she came back, and I think it was actually in Next Wave Agents of Hate, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. It's a Warren Ellis book uh, that's pretty decent. And they changed Elsa Bloodstone's character for that. They changed a lot of people's characters for, for Next Wave, where instead of being this sort of like, you know, fun-loving high school kid, she is a hard-drinking, hard-cussing, uh, Demon Slayer, who now has red hair. And you mentioned Red Sonia. I actually do kind of wonder if there was an intentional, like, move to make her more like Red Sonia. I like Elsa Bloodstone from, again, I haven't read much of her. I've read this, and I've read Next Wave, and she's pretty great in both of those. Hmm. We should put her on our list of things to read. Next Wave uh, actually is on our list, I think. If it's not, um, it, it will we'll read it eventually. <laughs> it's pretty good. I should pay attention to the things that are on our list. Okay. <laughs> um, you, you know, it has to be a good... Because if you watch TV, like, detective shows, cop shows, procedurals are done to death. And so it's got to be a good detective show or cop show or procedural for me to give a crap about it. And this was pretty good, you know. Um... I think, I think I, there were a couple is... of twists that I was like, "Ooh, interesting," you know, and it hooked me in the right way. So I, I think this is kind of how you do like a superhero mystery, right? Because um, I don't think at any point it ever really felt cheap. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. like it kind of sets up its own rules, um, and you kind of because just kind of like kind of like just Jessica, you kind of have to like figure out what those rules are. So you really are doing this whole investigation, whether. Um, which I, I, I will I, say, I, like. I will say, I don't think it is possible for you to guess the ending, which is no. something that I like in mysteries. And so the fact that you don't really get those clues, kind of annoying, not a deal breaker. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but it's, I don't know. 
Um, you guys realize that we read two stories for this episode where the main character kind of dies, but not really. Uh, oh, hey. I was more. I was more like that. We had, you know, Spider Man and Mary Jane in both of these, um, both of these stories. Like somehow <laughs> we still managed to get, you know, Spider. I mean, Spider Man. I. I mean, that's a Spider Man book, Craven. But like, yeah. So, so I mean, I suggested this book. Um, I've been suggesting this book for a little while. Yeah. I totally forgot that Spider-Man was in this. Well, here he is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for what it's worth, I guess. It's not on purpose. <laughs> but my but my crusade to turn this podcast into the Spider-Man podcast continues. <laughs> <laughs> they laughed about it now, but five years later, Aldo <laughs> sat atop his Stanley and Steve Ditko throne of comics. Chuckling and merrily and flipping through stacks of genre, classic John Ramitas and said, you, you've fallen into my web. I love that we're all treating it like this, this big conspiracy that we wind up with Spider-Man in almost every story. Spider-Man is the most popular character at Marvel Comics. <laughs> this, this is not that surprising. No. I, yeah. and I, I think I remember reading somewhere that like when artists typically get hired on for a book... Uh, one of the questions that the editors will ask him will be like, "Hey, who? What's a hero you want to draw?" Um, apart from like whatever the writer is focusing on, right? So in this case, uh, Jessica Jones. I imagine a lot of writer, a lot of artists are probably like, "Can I get? Can I get Spider Man? Can I? Can I draw him even for if it's for like a couple couple pages?" Isn't that what uh, What If was all about? No, maybe. or I mean, like, no, maybe. Okay, let me start over. <laughs> Hey, I think one thing that they used to do in What If was, you know, Spider-Man teams up with uh, whoever. Like, the art, whoever the artist and writer felt like handling. Oh, that's uh, Marvel, Marvel Team, team up. up. Marvel Team Ups, yeah. Hey, uh, Steven, edit this so I sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, if I recall, hey, if I remember correctly... Yes, Steven. I'm going to edit in fart noises. <laughs> Please do it in that hey, John, silence. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of that's a lot of power Steven has. And you're like, jeez, we're getting a lot of feedback noise. from John. It's just, oh man. <laughs> so going back to the the story, blind spot. You know, the thing that we're all here, we are gathered here today to witness this this Marvel comic between a blind and a spot. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm a I'm lukewarm on the art. Are you sure you're not Luke Cage on the art? Hey oh <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Man, you give him you give him any any opening, any opening, and he can just swish from from beyond the three point line. Sports analogy. Ha <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not Steven. the swish I was thinking of. <laughs> uh, that sound is actually flush, Steven. It's a flush. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, Kelly Thompson. Uh, yes. I like Kelly Thompson as a writer. Something that I really like when when superhero comics do is when they are very very like overt with their metaphors. Um, I don't necessarily like them to go out of their way to explain the metaphor, which Thompson does in this story, and I don't love it. But the the obviousness that she's approaching things with is pretty good. So we get is his name Kyle? He looks like a Kyle. <laughs> he is now. <laughs> <laughs> He's either a Kyle or a Chad. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
See, one of my best friends is named Chad, but like that still like and he doesn't fit the Chad stereotype, but that is still like the go-to like mm, Chad, you know, like Oh, that so that kind of dude. I we have a friend that's turned into a Chad. Oh no. Uh so we've started calling him that and at his new job there is a person named Chad and he's <laughs> actually gotten his own name confused. <laughs> <laughs> They called for Chad, and he's responded. Oh my gosh! This is like how my friends, my friends incepted me, like guys I went to high school with in, in the first couple of years of college, where um, I'm I'm the oldest by a few months, like six months at the most, you know. And like they started rounding up when I hit twenty five. They're like, "Oh, you're thirty. So like, I have to take a second and remember my age now, because I'm like, no, I haven't hit the next set of tens yet. Dang it." <laughs> Uh, oh By yeah, the way, since... uh, Chad's name is actually Jared. I was about to say that. <laughs> now, anyway, so like Jared has this moment when like bad Jared and good Jared are facing off at the end, and Jessica Jones tells tells Jared that you need to reabsorb your Chad self. And Jared's <laughs> like, I don't want to. And then Jones has this this spiel. Uh, you removed the shit that was toxic, but you didn't learn why it was toxic. You didn't do the hard work to make sure that you wouldn't do it all again. Mm. And so, like, again, it's a little bit obvious with the metaphor. It's a bit heavy-handed. But at the same time, like, this is a superhero story that's dealing with the effects of, of, you know, if, like, it's a story about an abuser that has sympathy for the abuser but doesn't let him off the hook for being an abuser, you know? Yeah. And I think that's hard work. And I really applaud Kelly Thompson for doing it. Her dialogue is very, very charming. This is a very good plot uh, to, again, do sort of a superhero take on a very real issue. And I think the the whole, like, uh, Dia being a mutant and her mutant power is basically getting wishes from the monkey's paw. Like, that's all pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah, it is cool. This, is, um, this has got a good, a lot of good concepts in it that I really like. So I think one of the things I like, you, you know, you mentioned it has really good dialogue. It's fun. I think it's snappy for yeah. a lot of it. Um, really snappy writing. I think one of the things I like about this book a lot is how a lot of the conversations are interspliced with Jessica Jones' thoughts on, like, almost everything. Um, and it's because, you know, she says a lot of stuff while she's thinking the other um, and I think it's a neat kind of look into what she's really thinking. Um, yeah. Cool, I killed that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how much material you can get through when people aren't constantly interrupting you for jokes. Yeah, it's surprising. <laughs> I guess uh, step up your joke game, Steven. I feel it. I feel Aww. attacked. <laughs> it, it's fine. Like, I'm on the podcast to make comments, and you two are on the podcast to make fun of me for comments. Yeah. We're the color commentary, see? Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> well, one of them... Mm, never mind. <laughs> wow. That's not, wow. A, that's not okay, Stephen. Calm, no. Calm down, Sean Gillis. <laughs> oh, oh. Gosh, I was definitely more of a mad TV guy. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, so, anyways, uh, you know, you man, know, I'm dying. Although that was a sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll get you some uh, some aloe vera. 
No, no, he earned that burn. He earned that burn. I love that I'm the one who's making the racially, que- like the questionably racially insensitive comment, and Aldo's the one who's apologizing. Yeah. Uh, welcome to welcome to the world of white. This privilege. is a horrible <laughs> white world we're living. in. Gosh. Okay, we need to change the subject. Okay. How about that violence on women that really gets explicitly called out here? Who? Oh gosh. I yeah, actually. Bad. I actually really like that. That is kind of like a big thing with with you know the chad side of jared's personality um we're like the kyle guy is like the kyle version is super good <laughs> wait, wait. Jared, this is what we've learned jared's kyle, kyle plus chad equals jared yeah so jared's kyle is like a super cool dude who can heal people but jared's chad is like he has like this whole thing against women to the point where, like, for some reason, it's, I believe in a son explained, unless I missed it. Um, he, like, strips Jessica Jones while she's unconscious and puts her in a Miss Mar- in a classic Miss Marvel leotard. Boots and gloves and all. Chad did Minus- that. Yeah. It's weird and gross. Yeah. No, weird and gross. Um, I think, I don't know. There was, a, there was an episode of... <laughs> what? No, go on, go on. What? No, nothing. You're like, it's weird and gross, but then also, let me talk about this TV show. Yeah. It is really... Keep going. I'm excited. Keep going. So... (laughs) I... I... (laughs) John, go. I can't. Now you know my pain. (laughs) No, it's like... No, hey, no. Try to walk up these stairs. I'm going to yank on the rug a little bit so you trip. What I what I'm saying is there's a scene in Luke Cage where Misty Knight is being interviewed by this police officer, and the whole conversation is like, okay, I see they're trying to do a framing device, um, and like frame the whole episode through this conversation, but it's not really like it's not really believable that they're having this conversation. It's like, why would they even need to do this? Like this would have been handled in another way. This scene is dumb. It, it seems like it's a way for the story to be told more than making sense with character choices. I don't know. That's, that's the impression I got. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, persona five also does that where, Oh yeah. Yeah. Where they're like, uh, the game starts out and they're interrogating him and they're like, listen, we only got five minutes. So tell me your story quick. Cut to 120 hours later. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have anything else to say about this one? You, you know what though? Now that you mention that, I don't know who, which of the Jareds she's talking to at the beginning of each issue? Kyle or Chad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she's talking to Chad Jared because Kyle Jared is tied up. But he's not like like. I mean, he's not mute. He can talk. He's not gagged. Yeah, but he's not gonna villain monologue. Yeah, like at the beginning of each issue where she's just kind of talking about what's going on. They just they just instead of doing like a sum up page. You know, it's a digital comic. They weren't doing the same thing as everyone does in print, where it was, you know, where they yeah they do that nice sum up page for you. Oh hey, there's a shadow on her every time, and it's standing. It's Chad. Yeah. Right. Oh, there's that too. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, that sounds like we're describing like the douchiest frat of all time. Like, <laughs> uh, did you um, guys before we rank? Do we want to talk about that birthday story at the end real fast? It's weird. Yeah. It's charming and, and like it actually does a really good job of it's not just a one-off disposable thing. It actually sets up or rather reminds the audience that Jessica Jones has a thing about the color purple because oh, yeah. of the purple man. She's not a, oh, and, I was going to say she's not a Whoopi Goldberg fan. Okay. 
<laughs> so not, it sets that up with the game. balloons, and then it pays it off at the very end when Danny shows up and is purple. Was that her name? <laughs> it, yeah, it, her name's Danny. Okay. Yeah. So like that's that's good. Um, I guess it does it in a matter of like a couple of pages, but I mean it's more than this... a couple of pages. It's quite a few. Well, no, Luke Cage puts it together that the the thing that's got. Uh, Jessica on edge is the purple balloons on page yeah. 41 of this 45 page story. Well, oh. I guess it's, this is a 22 page story because it's actually half of this digital issue. Th- these are formatted really weird. Yeah. I don't understand. It's, you know, we're, we've been reading all print comics this whole time. And so, but I mean like this is just two 20 page issues bundled into a single issue, but they even have covers for each half. Yeah. It, 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 I don't quite understand the logic behind that. Um, but anyway, like, it's fine. <laughs> yep. I like how swole uh, She-Hulk is in this. Oh, yeah. She's if you're gonna super do, if you're gonna do, If you're going to do She-Hulk, like, let's acknowledge the fact that she's a Hulk, you know? like she, Yeah, she's not lean like you're kind of used to seeing. She is bulky AF. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, this She-Hulk is also... Not like the She-Hulk that we've seen before, and spoiler alert, we're gonna see again very soon, is very even in her Hulk form, she's very loquacious. She's very literate. Uh she speaks good. <laughs> <laughs> this version of She-Hulk doesn't. She speaks in like single-word sentences. Magic toy, make Danny strong. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it's it's She's more brutish than what we've seen before, and I don't know why that happened exactly. Maybe she's taking a day off from the law firm. I haven't followed her comic. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of major developments with her since Civil War II, but what that specifically has looked like, I'm not sure. Oh, man, I totally put that out of my mind. That there was a Civil War II? Yes. Yeah, that's gonna. we're going to read it someday, don't mm. worry. Are we? <laughs> I mean, we have like, to. We have it to. is a Marvel comic. Spider-Man's in it. Oh, dang it. That seals it. <laughs> <laughs> How many Spider-Men are in it, though? <laughs> Just dangle that Peter Two, Parker. because uh, Miles is in it. <laughs> I know. That's the joke. Um, <laughs> yeah. Talking about the joke, I like how uh, She-Hulk apparently saw Luke Cage's Luke Cage. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me rephrase that. She-Hulk saw Luke Cage's Power Man. There you go. Oh, boy. She-Hulk saw the Luke inside the cage. Ah. There it is. Yep. Pack it up, gentlemen. We've found it. There it is. We've peaked. (laughs) Stop the podcast. It's never going to get better than this. Um, (laughs) um, And also, I like how everybody saw her in her underwear, and she kind of stopped caring. (laughs) Well, when you get attacked by the shark, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Also, friendly neighborhood Thor is the best Thor. I don't remember. I don't remember seeing him in Thor or Thor's Battle World. Yeah, I I would love a series called Friendly Neighborhood Thor, where Thor has to fill in for Spider Man and he way oversteps the it's, mark. Yeah, and he's just <laughs> he's just way. Uh, oh, was what, what is the word? Overqualified. Yeah. For the job. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just him. Uh, it's just him like trying to save cats from b- burning trees and like knocking down a whole building or something. Yeah. yeah. Guys, wish me luck. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to California and pitch this to Marvel. All right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. 
You just drop one of those classic puns and they'll be sure to let you in the door. <laughs> yeah. Security! So, sorry, guys. <laughs> I ran all the way over here. My legs are really Thor. <laughs> and on that note, I think we have to rank because... Please, for the love all. of all that is holy, Stephen. <laughs> I am just on one today. <laughs> You're on something. Woo. Something that's legal where you are, but not here. Hey, hey. Oh, hey. Which, let's be fair, that's a lot of things. <laughs> I, I, res- I respect the podcast enough to not. <laughs> Unless it's totally by accident and I forget it's a Tuesday, then I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't... We're talking about comic books and just chilling, man. We wouldn't even know. <laughs> that's why your voice was so hoarse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, currently on our list, we have 67 comics. Number one is No Normal, the Ms. Marvel introduction from 2015. And number 67 is that bad book that sucks a lot. The Evil That Men Do. (laughs) I couldn't remember which one it was until I scrolled down. You're like, oh yeah. Uh, We got a lot of... Uh, Here's the thing. We have a lot of really good comics on this list. The bad comics are really bad. Yeah, we should read some more. Bad comics? Yeah. I mean, for the purposes of the podcast, sure. For science, sure. But for our sanity and for our own personal well-being. Alright, let's let's start with uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Where are we going to put this on the list? It's... uh... Don't all of you speak at once. <laughs> um, you had an opinion, right, John? <laughs> <laughs> now, I love how so nobody if wants a, to go first. If it's not something I'm like super passionate about, it's good. I enjoyed it. I would read it again, so that's where I'm at. But now it's more of a game of how quickly is Steven going to slap down my shot right here? Like if I'm I would put it at like highest I'm thinking be like 16. Way too high. Slap down immediately. <gasps> Surprise. Actually, I'm <laughs> probably on the same side as Steve. I think that's a bit high. <laughs> Let me tell you, I know a thing or two about too high. <laughs> ha, got him. Stop recording. Call the feds. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I, I keep going to Karnak as like a point of comparison. Like, for books that are good, but also weighty and kind of dark. I love Karnak. Exactly. Like, I don't know that I like this better than Karnak. Yeah. No, that's why I uh, have it... Uh, wait. Oh, I put it above I put it above Karnak. You, you, you did put it above oh, Karnak. Oh, well, you're looking at Karnak's 16. I... I... Not you were yeah. it at Runaways. I, uh, I take back what I said. Yeah. Way too high. Rah! Slapped away. Rah! <laughs> I'm... And the thing is, like, I'm maybe not even the same range as you guys. I feel like this is, like, a 35. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm, I, I, I would go higher than that, but I'm not sure I'd go much higher. Because I'm looking at all these books that I think I would prefer to read, except really Williams. Um, <laughs> And really, I get to the point where I get to Eternals, and I'm like, yeah, I would definitely prefer to read this over Eternals. You know, I would yeah. put it at 30. Okay, that, that's this is getting interesting. Um... Man, I guess we do have different definitions of good. Because we all agree this book is good. 
<laughs> yeah, but like, how good is it? Here, here's the thing. I actually think it goes quite a bit lower than Karnak too. Um, I think it goes below Thunder in her veins. Uh, I yes. think it goes. It, it's when we start to get into this range. The Galaxy's Best Detective, A Babies versus X Babies, Thor's Battle World, where I'm like, okay, where specifically in here does it go? I think if I put it beneath A Babies versus X Babies, like. I don't know, Watch Mojo will jump out and punch me because this has got to be on their top ten lists of comics. Craven's Last Hunt gets a lot of critical acclaim. It does. I mean, it's it's not a bad book. It's not a bad book. It's a really good book. It's a really good book that I almost never want to read because it makes me sad. <laughs> uh, but it's a good book. Yeah. I would, I would put it at 27. I'd put it just under Thunder in Her Veins, I think. You know, I, I'd be fine with that. Except I like it, yeah, under, tw- so 27, so replacing, yes, because it's better than Galaxy's Best Detective. It is better than but Galaxy's not Best Thunder, Detective. Thunder, yeah, yes, yes, that is yes. a good spot for it. Good job, Steven. Yay, I nailed it. See? We don't even have to rank this other story. <laughs> well. <laughs> Except that is the entire conceit of the podcast. Yeah, well, I wasn't okay, going to remind so, you, but um, yes. Where does Blind Spot go? Where you can't see it. <laughs> i'm sorry just left the door wide open steven no i'm not (laughs) no you're not yeah you are oh oh man uh you know what i'm feeling like uh 35 is where i would put this i would say 34 i think i think it did a better job than y stands for freedom i agree with both of you I think it goes in that area. Like my first point of comparison was Rogue and Gambit. Cause I mean, maybe it's not fair, but uh, Ke- Kelly Thompson, Kelly I'll Thompson. Yeah. yeah. I prefer Rogue and Gambit. It's a little bit more fun. And, uh, like, I think the, the fact that her metaphor gets a little too overt in blind spot makes me want to put it below Rogue and Gambit. I think that's the thing. Like, uh, Jessica Jones telling Kyle Jared that, <laughs> He doesn't get to just atone for being Chad Jared by magicking it away. Isn't quite as fun as Rogue and Gambit literally beating up their past selves. Yeah. yeah. You can't That's have your point. Kyle if you don't teach Chad. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot um, have any Chad until you've had your Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, actually, I think that's a really... I would put it just above Y stands for freedom. I agree with John. Yeah. Okay. John's spot it is. Ha ha. All right. And that's it for the ranking this week. So this episode goes up on the 23rd of September, October 7th. We've got a couple of interesting stories that we'll be reading. We have covered a lot of the material that has served as the inspiration for the big Marvel shows that are coming out. We've missed a big one, though. Or, I don't know if it's a big one. I think it's a big one because I've read this before and I really like it. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is getting a an animated series. And so oh. we're going to read the first story arc of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. There is still, I think, only the one series. So we don't have to deal with, like, volume six or anything. First story arc is the first six issues. And we are also going to read a She-Hulk story. A little bit of an older one at this point from the 2014 series by uh is that really older i mean it's older than 
what we just read today, which was from, you know, this year or last year. Yeah, but we also read something from like 1989. True. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay, so we are going to read the 2014 She-Hulk series by Charles Soule and Javier Pulido, issues 8, 9, and 10. This is the story arc where She-Hulk represents Captain America at court, and the prosecutor is Daredevil. In court. At court would be like she was presenting him to the queen. On court. Encore? Let's read it again, Around guys. court. In court? <laughs> She's not baking him in pastry. This is the first core of the story. Mm. Preposition <laughs> jokes. The English major in me is pleased. <laughs> oh no, Aldo, you see what he's done to us? No! <laughs> he has unpacked his adjectives. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. And so I think that's it for us. This has been the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Until next time, you are behind our list. Oh.